Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I To Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I To Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast, and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also, I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. Today we are at the Wham Museum in Hood River, Oregon. That's spelled W-A-A-A-M. And it stands for Western Antique Airplane and Automotive Museum. And we are here because I came through last year and this is the most remarkable museum that I have probably ever been in as far as my own personal interests. It's a fantastic museum. It's got antique autos and antique airplanes. And the way that they have them presented and displayed is most amazing and uh, so ascetic. It's, it's just a fantastic museum. And I'm here with Brian. He's a volunteer. And he's going to walk us through this museum. And we're going to learn a little bit about some different uh, airplanes, automotive, automobiles, and other things that they have in here. And let's get ready for this trip because this is going to be a fun one. Okay, so Brian, take us into our first gallery. Okay, in these two rooms here, the approximately uh, aircraft-wise, we have 190 uh, automobiles and about 135 airplanes. The majority of airplanes in this museum are what we call tail draggers. They're biplanes, mono wings, uh, radial engines, inline engines, this type of thing. They range from uh, early 1910 and up to the 1940s in this area here. So basically everything in these two large rooms here are 1940 and older. So our oldest uh, aircraft would be a 1910 Curtis Pusher. Okay. And then our uh, oldest car is right behind us here. This is a 1907 gasoline engine, uh, everybody's car. The company was only in business for approximately three years. It was uniquely sold through catalog company like Sears and Roebuck. Or oh, really? Warm. So you would order this car. Uh, through, not online, you had to mail it in, and they would send it to your uh, local railroad station in your community, where you go down to your Relics station master and pick up your crate and take it home. 
And one of the unique things was, is like an Ikea project. You had to put the wheels, the tires, and the fenders on, that type of thing. <laughs> this is probably one reason they only stayed in business for about three years. Okay. They predominantly sold it to rural areas because a lot of rural areas didn't have automobile uh, sales floors that they could go to and buy the car off the floor. And that's kind of where Sears and Roebuck was, was making their money at the exactly. time was from the rural areas. Exactly, exactly. Okay, now... You said that, that most of these, or some of these planes start as early as 1910. And this, these are regular biplanes. They look like biplanes that you would see. That's remarkable considering that the first plane was flown in 1903, correct? Correct. So they made great leaps between 1903 and 1910 as far as the shapes and the styles of airplanes. Pretty much so. They started getting production, but the situation was that... Uh, United States was kind of, in a sense, got behind Europe. Oh, really? A lot more developing and faster developing over because of legal situations here between the Wright brothers and Mr. Curtis. Well, tell us about those legal problems. Okay. Basically, it's set up with uh, the Wright brothers that they would have rights on anybody who was developing an aircraft. They would have to pay royalties back to the Wright brothers. Is that because of patents? Yes. Okay. Since they had the first airplane in the United States. So, Curtis, did they did they patent like the airfoils uh, or as far as the wing structure? Is that what they no, patented or they patented the whole airplane? Airplane. Uh, really? Airplane, yes. So, so well, that's how the patent was supposed to work, that they would have the rights to get a royalty off of anybody. Really? So, the same thing happened to Henry Ford. When he started production, he had to pay the American... Automobile Producers Association, I believe it was. I might be correct on that. He'd have to pay a royalty also on every car that he made to them because they had the rights to do so. So during the time period of uh, early 1900s up through uh, 1912, 1915, there was a monopoly busting attitude of the government. Right. And so basically uh, Mr. Ford went to court and he won, and he used gave his attorney over to Mr. Curtis, okay, who, who again went to court and, of course, overrode the monopoly with the Wright brothers. Wow, that's some history I had no clue about. Well, yes, and the interesting thing, of course, they were bitter rivals when they first started, but as time went on, uh, of course, the Wright brothers died off; their genera first generation died off. And they started making airplanes, and then Curtis and Wright got together. Oh, really? And they formed a company in the second generation, later in the 20s and so forth. Okay. Yeah. And, and here in this gallery, we have biplanes, like you said, from 1910 to 1940. I mean, when you walk, when you walk into the, the door of the museum, you can see this bright blue, or kind of a navy blue, but just polished up so pretty and mm -hmm. nice. And all of these planes are displayed uh, so, so very nicely and painted up. Uh, how many biplanes do you have in this area? Uh, I'm not quite sure, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> let's, let's both venture a guess. I'm guessing you've got over 100. A good possibility, yes, yes. And, and I, yeah. I'm off on my guesses a lot, but no, I'm, I'm guessing I, there's, a, for, there's the a lot of them here. The majority of our aircraft are in this, this room here. Okay, now, now, when we came in here, he was talking about the planes being 1910 to 1940. And then he's got automobiles displayed here that start at 1907. We got a 1910 brush runabout. 
But the thing that's so cool with this museum is being an automobile museum and an airplane museum. I'm looking at a 1930 Laird LC-1B300 biplane, but parked next to it is a motorcycle that uh, is a Harley-Davidson Harley 1927. So they're right close to the same year. And then we jump on back to, the, to another vehicle and we've got a 1933 Harley. We've got a 1928 Traveler biplane. And then what is our car back there? Because I'd have to walk all the way back around to see that again. That's a Franklin. That's a, oh, that's a Franklin. Mm -hmm. And a Franklin, just for people that don't know, what year is that? I believe 1910. 1910? Okay. Franklins were air-cooled. Yes. And uh, they had a grill in the front, but the grill was just to hold the, the hood up. Right. And nobody wanted to buy a car without a grill. The Franklins are super cool cars. Mm -hmm. But you have all three of these displayed right here together mm -hmm. to where you blend the, the museum in such a way that, that you don't have an automobile museum and an airplane museum you have the combination all set up uh the cars i noticed last year and we haven't got that far in yet you might have a little picnic setting or even mm -hmm. something like that with the plane and the automobile all together yep we can just see some on the other side over here yeah. yeah it's just it's just remarkable the way that you've displayed this and as we're walking on around you've got a display here with uh several different buggies, uh, wagons, sewing machines, antiques, an Electrolux vacuum cleaner, probably from what, 1950? Right. And then you've got a high wheel bicycle. That's a custom built. <laughs> custom built. Tricycle. A uh, gentleman made this uh, from scratch. Everything, the wooden spokes he turned himself, the uh, rubber wheels that were all lined them. The only thing that is original is the Maytag washing machine motor on it. And this is one of the old Kickstart gas-powered yes. Maytag washing machine right. motors. Two-cycle engine. And I'll bet that thing was absolutely terrifying to ride. <laughs> I well, can't even imagine. His little wife, up until she was about 94, used to ride it in the 4th of July parade here in Hood River. Until she was 94? Almost, yes. I guess it's a tricycle, so the balancing part wouldn't be quite as bad. Mm -hmm. And it's got little step... Uh, uh, pegs coming on up so you can get up in the seat, but the front wheel on this is five foot high. Yes. And then it's got the little tricycle wheels in the back and that Maytag motor. I can't even imagine her getting up there when she's 90 years old. <laughs> she did very well. I, I think I'd be scared. I would too. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it. So. And then he's got a couple of uh, the, the single seat doctor's buggies is what they call them. Studebaker. Uh, horse horse drawn Accessor, yeah, yeah. buggies, uh -huh. horse-drawn buggies, and then over here in this other corner, we've got a whole bunch of hit-and-miss motors. And if you don't know what a hit-and-miss motor is, go back and listen to the podcast that we did on hit-and-miss motors. I don't know what number it was, but uh, it, you'll find it if you look. And they've got quite a few different motors here on display from 1913, 1929, 1937. And then we've got a 1937 Monocoupe 110 Special Airplane. It's not a biplane. No, it is a monowing, and it's uh, very desirable by many collectors to buy it because it's quite a unique plane. The wing, it's all power in the engine and very small wings on it. Okay. 
which makes it very, and it's very acrobatic. It could be used to, it would be kind of considered the hot rod of aircraft at that time. Okay. And then again, we turn around, we've got a 1919 Ford Model T Speedster sitting in front of a 1936 Arrow, again, a, a, a mono wing. Yes. But this one's mounted at the bottom of the plane instead of the Correct. top. And the unique thing about this, it has a flathead V8 1936 Ford engine in it. Oh, really? Automobile. Engine. Okay. And so really, it has a lot of weight in there. It has, oh, yeah. It has to be water-cooled. So it wasn't really a flying airplane. It was a flying engine. Wow. Size. Yeah, and the radiator sits down between the between right. the wheels. Not too aerodynamic. Wow. Yeah, that is interesting. I, I hadn't paid attention to that. Now, this plane here, this Funk, 1937 Funk B, has a Model B Ford engine in it, which was actually a Model A engine in the Model A cars. Right. So when they put it in the airplane, they called it a Model B. Okay. And it, again, is... Uh, water-cooled engine and the radiator sits it looks like behind the engine yes. on this one instead yeah. of it's instead it's of sitting yeah, down low lower on, up to the right i think you see now, this is interesting because the automobile engines weren't real efficient as far as uh, horsepower or anything well, else and they, they were heavy yes and they were direct drive so they were not a real practical especially when you have the had so many uh, planes coming out at that time that could be air-cooled right yeah okay and behind us here, this is Veeley. The Veeley Company was quite unique, and I didn't know anything about it until I came to the museum here. They made airplanes. And now this is an automobile. Uh-huh. They made airplanes, made tractors, and they made cars. And Veeley was a shirt-tail relative of John Deere. He was his maternal grandson. Okay. So when he went into business uh, back in the early, I think, real early years, uh, he started doing the development of the same things that John Deere was kind of working with. John Deere was mainly in course and tractors. Then I think about 1929 uh, or so, they had a problem with the, the, repression, the depression. Right. And they went out of business, and then John Deere bought the factory out and took them over. Okay. Yeah, I have never heard and, of the Veeley. They changed everything to John Deere. And this here is a five-passenger touring car. Super sweet-looking restoration on it. Uh, and, and it stuck between two planes, a 1928 and a 1930. So you get to see what was going on in the automotive world as well as what was going on in the, right. in the air, uh, airplane world. Mm -hmm. And then you've got engines on display that, like back here with the Fords, you've got an engine sitting out there so you can see just what kind of automobile engine was used in the airplane. Right, correct. And that's what's so cool about mm -hmm. this museum is, is it displays it uh, so nicely. So we have a new thing behind you here. This is a Henderson uh, 1930 Long Henderson Longster uh, 3, and the unique thing is the engine in that uh, plane is the same engine in their motorcycle, the Henderson motorcycle. Okay, so and again, I've never changes. heard of the Henderson motorcycle. Yes. And when, when were they in business? Uh, the same time period, uh, early, uh, late 1920s, early 1930s. Early 30s. Uh -huh. Okay. Unfortunately, the, we have a the motorcycle here, but it's not here, and uh, hopefully it could be coming back to the museum soon so we could be displaying both of them again together. Together. Right. You should have it. Yeah. 
That is... Uh, now, this one here is a cool-looking plane, uh -huh. this 29 Inland Sport. It it's got the rotary engine, but it's got a cap over the front of it, and the, the little uh, cylinders stick out. Right. It's a very pretty plane. Bright yellow. Mm -hmm. And it's a mono wing also over the top of the cockpit. Yes. And then down here, we're getting into another uh, triple display, I guess you'd call it. We've got a 1938 Indian 4. We've got a 1938 rear wind speedster. And the car that I like the best out of all cars ever is a 1936 Cord 810. Right. And the Cord was a pretty unique vehicle. It was a car before its time. Way before its time. It yeah. was front-wheel drive. Right. It, it was one of the first with front-wheel drive, wasn't yes. it? Yes, and it, had a, it has a V8 uh, air, air, airplane engine in it, recessed lights, aerodynamically designed. He says recessed lights. They actually have the eyelids that open right. up on these. Exactly. And they were also supercharged. Yes. Uh, yeah, just a... Uh, uh, very high performance car for its time and and i like the styling the grills were way different than anything else in their time uh cord's always been my favorite yes again they were had problems with the depression right it was a high-end car and very expensive so the market shrunk well another one of my top 10 museums is a cord Duesenberg auburn museum in auburn indiana okay. and that museum is just unbelievable uh, they've got lots of cords, right. lots of auburns, and lots of Duesenbergs. And uh, it's okay, like walking through I'll an automotive art museum. Bop, bop, bop. So if you ever get a chance to see that one, at some point in time, I hope to be able to do a podcast there. Then we get over here to what I considered a really unique display. Uh, It'd be the Wright Brothers. The Wright Brothers. And you've got a bicycle up here. Is that one of the original Wright Brothers bicycles? No, that is a 1890 Columbia bicycle. Okay. The unique thing about it, it has a straight shaft drive, no chain. Oh, really? And oh, I see it now. And the rims of the bicycle wheels are made of wood. Okay. Instead of metal, but they do have the, the spokes. So, yeah, it was quite a unique uh, uh, bicycle at the time. But that's how the Wright brothers started out. They were bicycle manufacturers. Yes, they were. Bicycle shops, yes, yes they did. But they started tinkering with the idea that somebody should be able to fly, and so they created different things. They had their uh, 1901 wind tunnel they designed to try and find the dynamics of airflow. Okay, now this wind tunnel, it's a, it's that a they, it's, it's a model, a model. Yeah. but you've got a big fan uh, at the front or at the back. And a window to be able to see what the aerodynamics were. Did they blow smoke through there, or what I, did they? I, back then, I'm not sure. I, uh, I'm not sure if the movie has it or not. But uh, they, I think they were able to possibly do with the smoke uh, off of a, a, okay. a burning lamp or whatever that type of thing. So. And this wind tunnel is uh, it's probably five foot long, six foot long, and it's in a two foot by two foot box. Has a glass so you can look inside to see what the aerodynamics or what the wind's doing is it's going over the wing or under the wing or, or around or whatever the case is. And that's what they used to develop the, the wing structure in order to create lift. Curve and lift, right, exactly. Right. So above your head here, this is an exact replica of the Wright brothers' first flying machine in a sense, or glider. Okay. It's their first glider, so this would be exact replica. So this one didn't have an engine on it? No. 
And how did how did they do with their gliders? I don't remember well, they, that part of history. I remember the the run off the sand dunes. Okay. And catch the air, like a kite. Right. And do it that way. That's how they first got their first flight going. And were they getting some pretty good flights with their glider? Uh, hit and miss. <laughs> I, I don't know if hit. I like the word hit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it was uh, pretty rustic. Right. Yeah, so. And so, because of the glider, we are now entering what I would consider the glider part of your gallery. Yes, this is the soar planes. Uh -huh. And now this one over here, the Sea Dallas, uh -huh. is that that's a glider also? Yes, it is. It was, I think, used more in training. Okay. Because of smaller rig, they could tow it behind a car or a truck. Oh. Or they could use a winch to put it up in the air because it was smaller and lighter. But this one and the other one over here, the Wackel, it is also a training training glider. Okay, and both of these, they have a big wing and just a wood fuselage comes on back to the tail, mm -hmm. uh, to the rudder and the and the back uh, mm -hmm. wings. Right. Uh, this one over here doesn't have any mechanicals as far as, yeah, I guess it's got ailerons, yeah. but it doesn't have, and it's got a rudder. Right. But the pilot is sitting just out on a seat suspended over a very narrow frame. And not very much between his bottom and the ground. Not much at all. Kind of a ski for when he lands, I guess. Yeah, a skid. I'll bet some of those landings were pretty rough. <laughs> yes. And then they've got full-sized uh, gliders in here. Uh, what, probably 10 or 12? Yes. And these are the ones that uh, they tow behind an airplane, take them on up in the sky and cut them loose, and then they sail around. And they've got a video that uh, I watched last year, so we don't need to watch it this year. That's probably, what, 15, 20 minutes long where yes. they're describing how to sail uh, in these gliders and how to catch your updrafts and how to, how to maneuver them to get to where you're wanting to go. It was extremely interesting. And some of these gliders have landing gears, but a lot of them just have the same landing uh, skid? skid that, uh, that uh, the early ones had. And then they've got a 1944 Spangler glider that is all put inside of a uh, trailer. trailer. Yeah. And the trailer's probably, what I guess the wingspan on that's going to be, what, 23, 25 feet? Right. And uh, it all fits right inside of this little trailer that's 25 foot long and probably four and a half foot wide. Yes. For hauling down the highway to right. go to your next, next event. event. Or whatever, yeah. It takes approximately a good group could probably get it together in 45 minutes to maybe two hours. You could put it together that fast. Right. And set up that. Wow. Hey, and it's from Wyoming. Uh huh. It's actually from Cody, Wyoming. Huh? That's interesting. <laughs> Being far from home and seeing yeah. seeing another Wyoming plate. Right. And it's even currently licensed. Do they do they take that places? Uh, they have yes. Right now it's just on display. It's owned by one of the gentlemen who donated several planes and, and uh, gliders to the museum. Okay, I knew that they had some gliders there. Uh, in, in Wyoming, but I wasn't aware that, that they brought them clear out here. Interesting. So this plane right behind you here is the oldest flying Boeing aircraft. Okay. It's a 1928 Boeing 40C. Okay. And the C designation is, is that it is a passenger plane that had two compartments that could hold four people. Okay. And 
the B model would be one compartment for passengers, and the A model would have been strictly air freight section on the front end of the plane. Now this is really an interesting looking plane because the passengers would sit enclosed uh, right, right above the wing, mm -hmm. and it's a biplane, but right above the lower wing, and then the pilot sits in an open cockpit back behind where the passengers are. Right. That's, uh, yeah. This is the kind of, at the transition period that came about at that time, so about 1929, to say like Ford Motor Company got into the aviation business under uh, Henry Ford's son, Edsel. Right. And Edsel started producing aircraft, and one of the aircraft he started in, in 1929 uh, was the trimotor plane. And okay. so it was completely the opposite configuration of this plane. It was mono-wing, had three engines on the plane, the passenger sat in behind the pilot, and the pilot and co-pilot sat up front in the plane. So that would be okay. the flop over time period that these became obsolete. Okay. And why would the, why would the pilot sit behind the passengers? That was considering the design of the time. Uh -huh. So most all these planes, as you know, all the airplanes when we come around the corner here, they're all airplanes that were used in the mail service, and they're all open cockpit. That's what all these so are. So as the time period, about the late 20s, early 30s, is when we started going in, putting pilots and people inside planes, and not, okay. not hanging out as planes. Okay. Now the thing that I find really interesting about this plane uh, is that it's the American Railway Express uh, tagged as, as right. far as what's there. Now, see, I've got a I've got a Railway Express Agency car, nineteen forty, right. not, not car truck a 1940 right. railway express agency truck mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't know anything about what the railway express agency was basically the railway expresses would uh, would handle freight off of rail cars that came through to the different uh, rail companies uh -huh. you know whether it be southern pacific or burlington northern they always had a rail agent that would handle the freight and so that freight would come into personal freight that people would come and pick up, or commercial freight that people would come and pick up at the station. Well, and they had delivery trucks. It was yes, a lot like uh, it was a, lo a lot like the precursor to UPS or exactly. FedEx. Exactly. And it went from I think 1912 or somewhere in there all the way up to 1975. Right. Uh, when it finally went out of business, but it was a monopoly owned by all of your big rail companies that you see on your monopoly board. Right. right. And they all went together to create this freight company called Railway Express Agency. A cooperative freight agency, right? And uh, it, it's funny to me because talking to people in our generation, even though they went out of business in 1975, I had never heard of them before. I remember the UPS man, but I don't ever remember a Railway Express agency well, guy. I'm older than you, so I do. <laughs> you do remember it. Oh, yes. But I even a lot of people that I talk to that are that are quite a bit older than yeah. me uh, don't know what the Railway Express right. agency was. So when, you know, the airline start, uh, airplane starting uh, industry started getting uh, freight services, you know, in, right. in the beginning of air mail, that type of thing, the railroad companies didn't want to lose their hold on freight, so they want to be able to be in both. So that's how they got also in the aviation business. Right. So. And they also were able to move things a lot yes, faster. Yes, yes. But and so all of these planes down this row were used in uh, avi or in the mail, air mail. Yeah, they had mail contracts. The different companies had mail contracts with the government to fly uh, mail. Uh, throughout the United States. Okay. Now, one of the things, as you know, they started setting up mail routes for aviation. 
Right. And so on the end of this row here, we have a cut down version of a beacon. Okay. A navigational beacon. And this navigational beacon was used along route. So say oh. the closest route here would have been uh, from Portland to Spokane, Washington, using okay. the Columbia River as the, the route. So about every 18 miles, one of these would be established along the bluffs of the river. Uh -huh. And so when flying, they would see the little blinking light. Right. That's a Morse code number. Okay. So they could always look at their that number and look at their map and know what position they were in. Okay, and, and so this was before radio and, and radar exactly. and sonar and all that. And so, GPS, yeah. so they basically had it sh set up like the shipping lanes. Right. It was a visual thing. Of course, one of the bad things would be for this product would be uh, having a whiteout. Right. Or fogging. Right. And you couldn't use it. So that's Not like there's any fogging here along the, the Oregon <laughs> coast or, no, and, the, and the Columbia, Columbia River Oregon. Gorge and all that. Right, right. So a lot of times they were flying by the seat of their pants and hoping that they yes. were making the right way. Right. I guess they had compasses and stuff. Oh, yes. Yeah, they did. And, of course, as they got out into the flatlands, many of the flatlands had large arrows, concrete arrows on the ground. Oh, really? That would be used in the same premise as this. Many of the, rail route, uh, the air freight routes are also use railroad tracks okay. as a visual guide okay. to get to the next major city with where they're carrying. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I w yeah, that's way cool. And it's it's just a, it's on a, a regular stand like right. you'd have a, a radio tower. Outside the museum, as you go out to your left, there will be a full-scale one. Okay. And it's probably like 40-some feet high. Okay. And it has the same system. It just has a, ro light. a revolving light. Right, reflective light that can be seen for quite a few miles out. And then it also has the identification light. The little green flashing right. light. Right, right. Then you've got an international mail truck parked in amongst mm -hmm. your mail planes. Right, right. Uh, you've got one that says a service plane for the Pacific Air Transport. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, you've got the cars and the, and the planes all, all right here together. Now we've got a 1919 Scripps Booth 19, or Model 39B touring car. Another company I've never heard of. Scripps Booth. It's amazing how many car companies, plane manufacturers, and all that there were. Came and went. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And I know that someplace in this museum, because I saw it last year, you've got the family tree of the Chrysler Corporation right, that shows mm -hmm. all the companies that Chrysler sucked up on their way uh, to becoming what they are now. We're walking past a couple of old trucks again. There we go. Yeah, starting off with a lot of companies that, that I've never heard of. Uh, Columbia Electric, an electric vehicle. For those that don't know, they had electric vehicles clear back in the 1800s. Uh, before they ever had uh, gas-powered cars, they were using electric cars. Mm -hmm. and, and, and steam cars. And steam. Oh, a lot of steam, yes. Yeah. So it was like 25% electric, 25% steam, and gasoline made up the difference. Okay. But there's, there's all kinds of companies coming up this tree. Samson, right. I've never heard of that. I've heard of Maxwell. Riker, uh, I think I've heard of Riker Electric. Uh, you've got uh, United States Motor Company, Dodge Brothers. And then it comes on up into Plymouth, DeSoto, Valiant in the 60s. And, uh, and becomes Chrysler, Dodge Chrysler today. Plymouth dealer, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... 
and we've got a 1924 Ford Model T T truck which has a camping bed on the back and when I first saw this I'd almost swear that the colors and everything that this was probably a railway express agency truck at one point in time I'm not sure I don't think it was I think it was a good old farm truck that somebody took a flatbed that used to haul hay and somebody had the bright idea to put a box on it and make it into a motorhome that's what it looks like yep. but the color combination it's got yep. the silver roof it's right, got the right. green it's box true. on it's the true. back yeah. and the black front which was uh railway express agency colors yeah. so yeah. <laughs> when i first saw this mm -hmm. i went hey there's an old railway express agency truck okay we've kind of been down this aisle let's jump on over here and and we're looking at a world war one i'm assuming uh military display you've got a Sopworth scout scout mm -hmm. okay it's the little brother to the shop with camel that snoopy used to fly around chasing the red baron right so the scout was a reconnaissance plane but it did okay. have one machine gun on the plane as you see it right but the unique thing about this plane is the motor okay or i should say the engine not motor right it has a true rot rotary engine on it oh okay there you go. Oh, the, the, the whole... Engine, the engine and the propeller turned together. The engine and the propeller turned together. Right. Whoa. My head, my mind's just been blown. It is a two-cycle engine. It ran on gasoline and castor oil. Okay. And the unique flying of this engine is because the engine was rotating so fast, it had a gyro effect on the plane. I'll bet. So a pilot flying it had to compensate for the hard right pull down from the gyro effect now why would they have the engine turn instead of well at that time the french designed it the british put it into production at the uh, beginning of the first world war and uh it was the fastest engine in aviation at the time all bet nothing else spun like that <laughs> exactly <laughs> wow so they they said they had a lot of uh, fatalities learning how to fly this plane especially with the young pilots coming in and, in and out flying it. And uh, one of the unique things is that they had to learn about how to compensate for that uh, gyro effect. Right. So. Well, okay, so, so the back where the crankshaft comes... It's mounted to the firewall. It's mounted to the firewall, mm -hmm. and the engine turns. Yes. And so is the propeller held solidly to the engine? Yes. So, that almost seems like it would mess with the with the gas flow coming into the engine and everything else with that thing spinning so fast that well, it's, it's, it's that designed the, to pull the gasoline into it. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, you'd still oil. think That's with right. centrifugal force it'd be. Dang, I'm gonna have to look at this. This yeah. this one's got my mind going in circles. So they, yeah, <laughs> basically, when you flew the plane, you had to set the engine at full power, mixture, uh huh, gas and oil. Uh, yeah, gas and oil, castor oil, at the same time. And then when you flew it, it took off real fast. And when you got up there and you want to slow down, you had a spark arrest button on yoke. You uh -huh. press the spark arrest button, it turns the engine off. But it has so much momentum. Centrifugal. And you could go for probably about 30 seconds or better before having to let your finger off the button and start the engine right back up. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's quite a unique engine. I was going to say, some Frenchman was thinking on that one, wasn't yeah. he? And the propeller on this is just absolutely beautiful. It's a laminated 
uh, what, four different types of wood? Yeah, I think, yeah, about six or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a gorgeous propeller. It's a cool plane. Huh. And then you've got a little display of a machine gun well, and is, some uniforms yeah. and some other things here with this, with this little display. You've got mm -hmm. a World War I ambulance uh, that's on a, I'm assuming that's a Model T yes. Uh, yes. chassis with, mm -hmm. the, with the ambulance back. And then we've got a 1910 Curtis Pusher. This would be the oldest aircraft in the museum. Okay. And basically this plane was uh, used by the movie companies down in Southern California. But it is a, an exact uh, plane of a 1910 Curtis Pusher. Really? And when he says pusher, it means that the propeller is behind the plane, not in front of the plane. Correct. So the propeller is actually pushing the plane forward. And this thing is amazing, I guess would be the word, mm -hmm. or, or scary or terrifying or something. The, the cockpit is all open. You sit in a seat just out in front of the engine. The steering wheel is just a series of cables that as you turn the steering, it's going to adjust your little ailerons, I guess, that are in between the biplane. Right. Uh, it's got the big biplane bottom wing, the big biplane top wing, and then the little airfoil uh, wings just on the tips uh, out in the middle. <clears throat> and you've got pedals and cables everywhere. I mean, tons of cables. And so they'd mount... Uh, uh, cameras on this in order to take uh, pictures, no, or I, what would they uh, use it for in the movies? Basic uh, stunts. Oh, okay. You know, they do use st stunt flying, this type of thing. There's a picture of a movie had been in. Okay. So, yeah. Which is called uh, Million Dollar Mermaid. So if you want to see this, go back to a 19, probably 13 film and look at the Million Dollar Mermaid. I think that was made in the 50s. Oh, was it? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Oh, I figured it was yeah. going to be a silent film, so, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. The unique thing, it has the Curtis OX5 motor on it, which was the high production model of Curtis back in the time. Okay. And, uh, and it's an eight-cylinder, right? Yes. Yes. Eight-cylinder water-cooled. And little tiny short uh, exhaust pipes, so this thing would have been really quiet to fly in, I'm no, sure. I don't think so. <laughs> like maybe you were deaf when you got out? Right, right. Okay. And then we come on around a little bit more. Oh, here with the, with the 1910 Curtis, we've got a 1912 Indian motorcycle. And this is our oldest motorcycle in the museum. <clears throat> okay. And it's... <laughs> It's pedal. That must be the way you started it. Is you, it was a moped, basically. You got it going, yep, yeah, with the pedals. Okay. And then we've got a couple more uh, cars here. We've got a 27 Willys Knight, four-door sedan, and a 21 Chevy uh, Model 490 touring car, and an old fire truck. A Wallace Turo plane. Yeah, this is kind of unique in that you could fold the wings back. You could fold the wings back. Yeah. Oh, okay. And stick it in a smaller barn. Right. Of, or hangar. <clears throat> and this has a five-cylinder rotary engine. Uh -huh. Huh. That's kind of interesting. It always, it, I always am amazed, it, like with three it, cylinders and five cylinders, yeah, the yeah, odd number seems like it'd be a, unbalanced. A radial engine. Radial engine. Yeah, yeah. Rotary would be like we saw over there with the... Okay. Yeah. And then we've got a 29 Packard 
parked next to a 29 General Airplanes Aristocrat. And all of these planes, when we're talking about this, they're all restored to perfect condition. Right. 90, now, 98% of everything flies and drives in here. Really? It is a working museum. And now, does the museum own all of this, or is all of it on display from yeah, private the, owners? The, the museum started out as a private collection, and then when the museum opened, they turned it over into a non-profit uh, organization that has a board of directors and okay receive, uh, it's a 503 okay uh, type program and they can receive money grants or airplanes to be donated without paying taxes on them okay so you guys own most of these planes yes. then yes wow probably value about 96 percent i think of the planes and 95 of the cars really yeah wow that's just a, that's amazing to me because this is such a, a big museum and you guys uh I guess I, I've never seen it other than driving down Interstate 84 outside of Portland, Oregon, coming to Hood River. I saw a sign that said the WAAM mm -hmm. uh, Automobile and Aeronautics Museum. And I think then one of the signs also said Western Antique Airplane Automobile. That's probably what it really right, said. Right. But uh, anyway, so I decided to pull in. But it's not like you guys advertise much, it doesn't seem. Unfortunately, no, we don't have a big budget. And so most of our advertising is word to mouth. Okay. Like, you know, telling their friends, you got to stop here and see this place because it's so unique and so vast. Right. And it is. It's just, it, it's amazing that, that this is kind of a hidden gem. I, I won't even say kind of. And then when you get off the interstate, getting here is actually kind of a, kind of a chore too, because you guys are way on the south end of the town and you've got to come on in and then head back through town and around this way and around that way and another way and and yeah. you finally end if, up here if you have a gps it will be on your gps map right you and if you follow the signs expect to have long distances between signs like maybe right. as much as a mile yes uh between the signs but we were able to follow the signs and got here so anybody else can too but it's just uh it's it's an amazing museum. Now, something else that you've got in here that is absolutely not related at all is a lure display. Right. This is from Lure Jensen. Lure Jensen was a large manufacturing company here in Hood River for quite a few years. And about 15 years ago, they closed down. They were one of the biggest manufacturers of fishing lures in the United States and Canada. And they were right here in Hood River? Yes. And okay. So that's one reason we bring a little history of the uh, industrial history here to the community. Okay. So they went out of business about 15 years ago. They sold out to a company, I believe, in Finland who has purchased them, and they are now manufacturing in the southeast United States. Okay. And then we've got a nice radio display with a bunch of antique radios, antique clocks, and antique phones. And cameras. And cameras. Yeah. What did I say? Clocks. Clocks, not clocks, phones. No, cameras. Dang, I'm looking at I'm looking at all this stuff in this display and I can't figure out what I'm supposed to say. And then we we come down this back aisle and we're still talking about planes. So far, we've spent 41 minutes and we're talking about all kinds of different planes and cars and and we're in our I would consider this the first gallery. It's a huge gallery. Yeah, yeah, the two buildings, first two buildings, mm -hmm. And uh, this is an interesting looking plane, a 1931 Curtis Wright Jr. They call this the uh, Sunday going to meeting plane because you could be all dressed up in your suit. You could fly it without having to worry about getting any oil drips on you because the engines in the back. It's, it's a pusher. pusher. Right. Okay. 
and it's got it's got a two place cockpit, open air. Mm -hmm. Okay, now over here we've got some more airplanes, and we've got a little snow machine. One of the first ones. One of the very first ones. What what is it? I don't see where it has it labeled. Huh. Mm. There were a lot of snowmobile manufacturers back in the late 60s, early 70s also. Uh, there's a Skidoo helmet, and this one is a snow pony. It looks like a little kid's snow machine. You don't see much, many of those anymore. So long as uh, Westwall here will be t uh, the common civilian type aircraft such as Taylor Craft, Aronka, Piper, and these groups. Okay. I've never heard of Taylor either. Taylor used to be by themselves. They were with Piper, and then Piper broke away, or vice versa, broke away again, and went back, did their own independent sales and building of aircraft. And now the Pipers were a small airplane, two-seater, right. uh, pretty most, much very slow flying. And pretty much the most common civilian plane that was produced back in the 40s, 50s. 60s, that type of thing. And they had a slow stall speed and, mm -hmm. and uh, were rarely maneuverable. In fact, I think a lot of bush pilots use them. Right. So, yeah. And then we've got a 20, uh, 1932 Willys Overland. And it's all decked out with Senior Don Jose. Hopalong Hop Cassidy. We feel that this car came to us uh, via who family who owned it that it was given to William Boyd, who was Hopalong Cassidy, Okay. Uh, after a shoot. Okay. So you can see it represents California, Southern California pretty much. Right. In that area with the Spanish uh, motif on it. And this is a beautiful car. It's painted a two-tone blue. It's got a baby blue and a sky blue maybe. And uh, it's got a rumble seat in it, all blue interior. It's just a super nice looking car. And then we've got a 1940 Piper, and parked next to it is a 1940 Ford Deluxe business coupe. So one man had all of this. Well, one man started the museum, basically, when he was 16, he started collecting aircraft and re-putting them back together, this type of thing. And by the time he was 72, he had 42 aircraft up oh. on the West Coast. So he decided, let's make a museum. And then his car buddies got a hold and said, you can't just put airplanes because that's too special. You need to bring people who would be interested in cars, trucks, motorcycles, this type of thing. So that's how it came about. Okay. And then we've got one that, uh, a plane here on the side that uh, is just a cutaway, I guess you would say. It's got uh, all of the interior structure shown right. for how a plane would be built made the inner, inner all the inner workings right. and the oh you've even got some props that haven't been carved yet yeah haven't been uh, laminated yet haven't been laminated and and so they're just slabs of wood cut mm -hmm. out in the shape that still need to be worked down right and to kind of give you an idea how the fabric goes on you can see the linen here and then it's right. going to be stitched and stretched in place before the application of the paint material, which back then they called it dope because right. it was fast drying and they could do it fairly quickly. And it was very strong. And so that's how they covered the plane. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and head on back to the next gallery here. And uh, we'll, we'll look at these planes again as we walk down. But uh, the next gallery 
is a military gallery, correct? It'll be the first part, yeah, 1941 up through Vietnam military display. Mainly training aircraft, uh, liaison aircraft that was used for spotting for artillery or reconnaissance, and then some training gliders that were used during the Second World War. And then they have some vehicles in here, such as the uh, Willys Jeep, the Ford Jeep, and uh, a light scout uh, truck in here that you'll see here pretty soon. And uh, different uh, light aircraft. We have one P-40 here that's being held here, hangered here for a while, along with a Texas T-6 trainer there on the floor. So the P-40 is actually our only fighter plane in display besides the little shoplift scout. Okay. The rest of all the aircraft are either trainers or reconnaissance. Okay. Well, let's let's go ahead and uh, take a quick break here be as we enter this uh, next gallery and uh, hear from a sponsor. Okay. We walk into this gallery and the first thing we see is an international... Is this an ambulance? No, it's a bread truck. A bread truck? A bakery truck. Okay. And it's all all done up in a nice green with the Stein's Bakery uh, symbol on it. The oak's all pretty. And then we come on in, you've got, uh, oh, that, I thought that was a half track, but it's got the it's, tires on the back. Right, it's similar to it, except it is totally has uh, wheels on it and not tracks. It is a uh, scout car. Okay. It's made by White Motors, World War II era. And then we've got some other military planes. Now, were most of these used these basically the, for reconnaissance and yes, stuff? Yes, these were the L, famous L planes that were used from 19, actually the Second World War all the way up to the first part of Vietnam as reconnaissance or liaison planes that related information from artillery spotting to uh, reconnaissance. Okay. So we have a, quite a collection of these little planes. They're mainly like the little Taylorcraft. Uh, Aronka, the Piper Cubs, all of them invested and produced models for mainly the Second World War. Okay, and then we've got a, a Jeep here like on the old Rat Patrol movie exactly. with, the, with the machine gun sitting right. Uh, right in the back where the gunner would, would stand and be able to fire as hooked up to a little uh, yeah. trailer. The unique thing about this, this was the Ford Jeep. The Ford Jeep they only made so many of them, and then most of them were exported during the war to Russia. Okay, uh, through the Lend-Lease program. Exactly. Okay. Uh, some were given to the Canadians and to the British, but uh, the majority of production, the highest production, of course, was the Willie Jeep. Okay. Jeep. So Ford Jeeps are very rare to find. Okay. Most of them were exported out of the country. Okay, and now just a quick uh, explanation of what the Lend-Lease program was, is in World War II, all of the allies, which Russia was part of, yeah, right. uh, uh, part of our pre, ally group. Pre, uh, for, before the Americans came into the war, we did a land-lease program, munitions, uh, fighting equipment, this type of thing. And then after the Second World War started, then it was over because the Congress back then did not want us to have anything to do with going into war. Right. Until we were attacked in 1941. Okay. So Lend-Lease was a way we could help our allies by supplying them with supplies. Okay. And we gave them all of our most modern technology through the Lend-Lease program. Yes. I mean, I guess if I get political with this, the Cold War was created by the Lend-Lease program because we gave Russia all of the technology that we had militarily 
to be able to be on par with us. Pretty much so, yeah. So, okay. Now, this is an interesting-looking uh, Jeep here. Really? It's got a, a, a big gun on it. Is that a bazooka? Or? No, no, it's a recoilless rifle. A recoil? Uh, okay. Right. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's mounted so when you fire it, basically, it had a minimal amount of uh, concussion. Okay. Or a pull, official pull. So it made a recoilless rifle. And it could be mounted on a Jeep like you see here in front of us, yeah. And now this Jeep's a different style than what you think of with the World War II Jeeps. Right. It's, it's a little been, bit beefier. Yeah, and Yeah, and it would have been like Korean War vintage would be that. Well, well it says say Vietnam. Vietnam yeah, it says Vietnam. So, yeah. So. Okay. And so you've got lots of different on American Mo Motors M422. Mighty Might. Mighty Might Jeep, Vietnam era again. Now that's mm -hmm. kind of a, a different looking Jeep. It's got a real small front end and doesn't look anything like what you'd consider a military Jeep looking like. Now this is an interesting looking plane. Yeah, they made these oh. the medical evac type thing. They, weren't, they made about a hundred of them. They weren't really practical because you could only handle one person and you, you couldn't send, have a nurse with that person like you do in air uh, right. ambulances now. So it was a one-shot deal. You put the pilot there and the patients in lockdown in it, and they flew them back and forth to. Okay, now this is this is this a Piper Cub? Yes, it is. And and the whole back end of the fuselage from behind the wing lifts up, and there's room for a stretcher to go into uh, the fuselage from the outside. You could slide that stretcher right. in up to the front seat. Uh, where the pilot is, right. and then shut that fuselage down and be able to carry him all contained inside. To field hospital. Right. And I'm sure it wasn't nearly as effective as what the helicopters were, just because you oh. had to have a landing strip and right. you had to, I mean, if you were going out into the field to get somebody, right. you had to have a way to land it. Right. Okay, we've got a U.S. Navy glider. These are trainers. All these are training gliders for the military. And what did the military use uh, gliders for? During the Second World War, there and then the invasion of Normandy, uh, basically going into France, they used uh, in, uh, with air, uh, paratroopers, uh, ground okay. forces. Type of these were taken in behind enemy lines and landed in, tried to land them in fields. They had a high mortality rate, unfortunately, but they were uh, very successful once they got the people out and working and backing the other people that were coming. And they would have been super quiet. Nobody oh, yeah. would have heard them coming in or anything else. But the Germans did spot them with their lights and okay. their spotlights. And oh, yeah, they had the big spot, yeah. And an aircraft gun. Yeah. Okay, and now we're looking at a, at a naval aircraft 1940 uh, water plane, I'm assuming. Yeah, this is a, uh, a pontoon plane that was basically could be launched off of an uh, uh, destroyer. Or, okay. not a destroyer, excuse me, a, a cruiser or a battleship, and it would have to be picked up by a crane and put back on its uh, catapult chute. Okay. And it was a patrol plane, and this one here actually was is Coast Guard. Okay. And you can see this the is, video. Yeah, there's a little snippet here. We're watching a video of, That's the of this plane. River. It seems like this plane would be extremely unstable. It's got a single. Uh, pontoon I guess you'd call it oh it's got the outriggers okay yeah. at the tip of the wings there's two outriggers but it's got a single pontoon and it is a biplane uh, 
pretty amazing. It's it's really cool looking. And they've got him taken off here and in the video, and he's flying up the Columbia River. This is coming into the. And now he's coming in for a landing. And unless there's no water, right? So what's he going to land on? I don't know. Grass. What's he going to land on? Oh, he's able. Okay, so he's able to land in soft dirt and. No, mainly grass. Mainly grass. Okay. That's interesting. And then they'd pick this up with a crane and put it back on right. the mm -hmm. on the aircraft carrier. Right. On, on the cruiser or battleship. Uh -huh. Okay, and then we've got another 1940 Piper Cub float with... Plane. Huh? A float plane. A float plane, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's got the dual pontoons, like what you're used to seeing when you see a, a pontoon plane. And they've got a 1941 Chevrolet Master Deluxe Business Coupe. With a star on it. Now, was that a military yes, car? Yes, that would have been a military. An officer's car or right. something. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then we've got another pontoon plane and then a 48 DeSoto Deluxe four-door. That's a beautiful car, too. Mm -hmm. So we've got several pontoon planes. And then we've got three John Deere tractors. Back here, we've got a B... That's an interesting one. I don't think I've ever seen one of these style of John Deere's before. It's a 38 model AOS. It's kind of a, got a lot of extra metal on it that you don't normally see on a tractor as far as the way the fenders come in and stuff. Used in orchards for the branches? To oh, okay, because the fenders come from the very front and taper on out and then go over the back wheels. And the uh, uh, hood has another extra part on it that comes back to where the steering wheel is so that everything's really smooth. And I guess coming underneath the trees in the orchards, right. it makes perfect sense. And then we've got a display of the little Cushman motorcycles. Scooters, yeah, motor scooters in here with some bicycles. Wow. And this is quite a display collection of models. Who is a helicopter pilot locally here. Okay. The phone company. It looks like he's got a model of just about every Everything kind of helicopter you can, you can yes. imagine. Yes. There's got to be, what, 300 models in there? Just about, yes. Somebody was sniffing a lot of model glue. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> a little Cushman ice cream truck. I can remember those from when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Cruising through town playing music, and you run on out and get your ice cream out of the little sidecar box. Right, right. Wow. And this is our little theater in here that shows the movie about... Uh, Tom Murphy flying off the roof with his uh, 1910 Curtis Pusher uh, model. Okay. Uh, oh, from from the movie that we were seeing back uh, over here. Right. Well, no, this is this is a different movie. This runs about every 15 minutes. Okay. And uh, Mr. Murphy reenacted the flying off of the Multnomah Hotel in 1995. Okay. So what happened? Wow. Is, so he did this, but in 1912, a real Curtis Pusher flew off the same building. Okay. And so he reenacted it with a scaled-down model of a 19-gun Curtis Pusher, and National Geographic did the filming of it. Wow. And so they could see how unique I'm going to have to come back and watch that film. Yeah. And then we get into, is this uh, women in aviation display? Not really. This is more like passenger type thing. They were kind of, this is a, a Beechcraft, a twin-engine Beechcraft that can... Haul people. Okay. A small uh, passenger, passenger plane. plane. Right. Okay. You've got a couple of female uh, mannequins, mannequins uh -huh. and they're traveling light. They've only got uh, 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, cases. Right. So, so they're just taking a quick weekend. <laughs> okay, the reason I thought that this was women in aviation is because I found this display to be extremely interesting last time yes. that I was here. You've got wing walking. Right. And if I remember right, there was a video of some of the wing walking. Right, in the, in the other building, yes. So this is a very powerful um, uh, plane. It is a uh, 1941 Stearman 450 horse acrobat show airplane. And it's uh, been used in quite a few shows. The people who owned it retired and they gave it to the museum. Wow. And did they do actual wing walking with it? Mm -hmm. they, did. they did. Yeah. And when did they retire it? I'm not sure. Uh, I think here probably about maybe eight, nine years ago. So it's really recent that they retired it. Right. Wow. That's got to be quite the trip, getting up on top and, and walking across the wing. Yes. I, I don't think I'd want to do it. I don't think I would either. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's really cool the way they've got this displayed because they've got the the seat harness with the cables attached and, and the mannequin up on top to show exactly how the how the wing walking took place. And then underneath it, you've got a little soapbox derby car mm -hmm. and and a bicycle that's got a passenger area in the front and you pedal from the back and another old motorcycle, I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And across the way, we've got a 1956 Lincoln Continental Mark V. Beautiful car. An old pinball machine with Captain Fantastic and a, another uh, pinball machine. And then we get into an area that's more just an automobile museum. Section, right. This yes. is our fourth building. Mm -hmm. And we've got a 1957 Studebaker Golden Hawk and a uh, 66 Ford Mustang, 65 Buick Riviera. Why, that's a beautiful car. Mm -hmm. And again, all these cars are just beautifully restored. Now, you guys have a, a restoration uh, section to this museum too, right? It's over in the corner over here. Over here in the corner. Right. And they restore, uh, th they go out and pick up certain cars that you're looking certain, for and do restorations? Well, or? Certain cars will be brought in and they have not been finished or they need a little more work on them. So they will go and restore that, bring it back to its almost original type uh, structure. Okay. <clears throat> You've got a... 81 81 avante yes okay you're gonna to have to tell me about the 81 avante i thought that the avantes were done with studebaker in 65 right. yeah i think american motors tried to come back with this i'm not totally sure so i'm gonna stop right there and not go any further but, uh, okay well i guess i'm gonna to have to look up where the 81 avante motor company was because that's kind of interesting the avantes were a cool looking car yeah they were the fastest stock car at that time. Oh, were they? Yes. You've got a 60 Studebaker wagon. That's in, in, a, in a bright red, well, not bright red, it's kind of more of a maroon red, but beautiful car. You've got quite a few Studebakers here. Mm -hmm. This is the Studebaker section. Okay. And the 57 Chevy two-door hardtop and 56 Packard Clipper. And all of these cars are just beautiful cars. I, I love this old uh, machinery. It's amazing the artwork that was actually involved, whether it's the airplanes, the cars, the motorcycles. Just the design is, is unbelievable. With uh, 
And it was all done by hand. So much of it was yes. all done by hand instead yeah. of just pressed. Very much so. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And then... Uh, so this is our shop section here. They're working on two cars right now. This 1914 Electro, they've been on quite a few years, but they're really getting it down to pat so we'll be able to operate it. So. Really? Mm -hmm. They're putting new batteries and everything in it? Yeah. Are they the original style batteries? No, they are going to use uh, more modern day batteries in the underneath the seat in the back because they're more efficient, easier to charge this type of. These batteries here were very difficult, very expensive back then, and to get them operating and running would not be practical. So okay. for display purposes and for operation, they'll be using all new electrical system in it. Okay, but let's talk a little bit about electric vehicles, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, I doubt if many people, and we mentioned it earlier in this, that the electric uh, car was here before the internal combustion, back in the, in the late 1800s, I think 1876 even. Right. Uh, they were the most popular cars into the early 1900s. And the reason that they were is you didn't have to go out and crank them with a hand crank and, and end that's up breaking your wrists. That's and why they called them ladies' cars. Ladies didn't have to get dirty with their hands out trying to crank a car. Right. They said even Henry Ford's wife, in his first year of cars, she only drove Detroit Electric. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that that was kind of the downfall of them, too, is when they came out with the electric starter and the men didn't have to come out and crank right. it. It was, it's a lady's car, and what man wanted to have a lady's car when you were only buying, I mean, cars weren't cheap, you right. know. When these were very, yeah, these were very expensive cars at the time. But the efficiency of the, the batteries, you know, they could probably go for maybe uh, 50 miles, and, and they only have so many hours on, then you have to take them back and recharge them. And the, and the replacement cost of those batteries are very expensive because there's a huge bank there. So, now, I was um, doing some study on these, and, and I came up with, uh, they claimed that they had an 80-mile range, at 25 to 30 mile an hour cruise speed, ah. which, you know, your Model Ts and stuff weren't doing much over 25, 30 miles an hour. Right. Uh, and the 80 mile range is, is actually kind of impressive. But when you ran out, you didn't run down to the gas station and, and get another gallon of gas to get home. You had a problem. Right. And I, I think also in a lot of your major cities like Chicago, New York, they were all set up with the electric charging stations in lots of different places so that you could charge your electric vehicles. Kind of like they're starting to do now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where would we be if they would have kept going with the electric vehicle instead of putting all of their efforts into the internal combustion right now? Well, well basically, if you've got to step back. Again, <clears throat> back then, gasoline was a nickel a gallon. Right. And petroleum was so cheap. But right. today... Batteries are becoming more efficient, longer lasting, and petroleum products are going up, of course. Right. So that's kind of what comes around. Right. But if we'd have kept, if around. we'd have kept developing along with it, uh, well, it, yeah. It, I mean, look at the technologies that we've come from the Model T engine mm -hmm. to the uh, new Chevy or Ford or whatever engines. Uh, as far as longevity, I mean, those old engines lasted for what, a hundred thousand miles at best. At best. Yeah. And and now we're getting if if you buy a used car with two hundred thousand on it, you don't really think anything it's just of broken it. Broken in. Yeah. yeah. So the technology has moved so far forward, and it's it's just kind of curious to think what could have happened if we'd have stayed with some of our steam, because the steam's not a not a bad alternative either. If you could get the steam to come up fast Faster, enough. Faster. Yeah, that's the biggest. And thing. make things move. Right. So this is our steam section of the museum. Okay. We have a 1910 Altman Taylor 16 horsepower steam tractor. 
and these are used predominantly in the fields to uh, harvest, uh, run harvesting machines, this type of thing. Now what's amazing when you look at this, how big this is, and it produced 16 horsepower, yeah. and you look at the cars nowadays that they say are doing 700 horsepower, like mm -hmm. the new Camaros or, or Dodge, right. Right. Uh, latest, greatest, and uh, there's just no comparison in size and what they were able to get. It takes a good hour and a half to get this boiler fired up, though, to, that you have enough steam, in, right? roughly. Stanley Steamer was the same problem. You had to go start the car, uh, ignite the kerosene in the boiler, and get it warmed up, and you take 45 minutes to an hour before you could really take off with it. But they were really dependable once oh, you yes. got them going. Oh, yes, yes. And this is, it's really funny to look at this Stanley Steamer. They've got a Stanley Steamer Model 735B uh, touring car. It's, it's a big car. Uh, it would hold six passengers easy. Uh, and when they've got the hood opened up, all you see is a great big boiler unit in there with a whole bunch of valves and piping in order to get the, the steam all figured out. And I'll bet it was kind of a tough thing to drive as far as uh, keeping the pressure right and I'm some not, of that yeah, kind I'm of not stuff. Sure. I think you might be right, but it, basically it was a very uh, likable car. It went fairly fast. It, uh, the only thing you had to keep worrying about running out of water. So right. You always had to have the garden hose around. This is and, our oldest car. It's a 1900 Locomobile steam runabout. And it's got a little small, it has the water reservoir in the bottom, you have the boiler up on, underneath the seat there. And it doesn't have a steering wheel, it's got a steering stick. Yeah, tiller. And it's got a, a horn attached to it, one of the ones that you squeeze the little rubber Ball. horn honker. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a, a buggy uh, chassis. Uh, there's not much there. Chain driven, just kind of a cool little runabout. So these are several of our old Model T's. 1913, 1912 Auburn. Mm -hmm. And now all of these were right-hand drive back in, the, the, back in the early days. A lot of them were, yes. Mm -hmm. And you know the reason for that. Because people drove horses from the right-hand oh, side, okay. and it was a carryover. Carry Even though that. they drove on the, right. the right-hand side of the road, uh -huh. the, the uh, carriage drivers would always sit in the right-hand seat, and that's where they drove. Then you've got a couple of rat rods here. Right. So you've got a wide variety of... A little of, bit of everything for everybody. Yes. And then you've even got some... Oh, this here's cool. <laughs> Somebody cut down a... What is it, a Kenworth? They made it from scratch. They customized this. Oh, they did everything from scratch, the right. cabin, everything? Right. Okay, and it's it's basically a pickup size truck that looks like a, what is that, probably a 79 or something Kenworth? Could be, I'm not sure, here it's a mid-1960s. Mid-60s. Kenworth tractor, three-quarter scale. Three-quarter scale. They did a beautiful job on yeah. that. That is really sharp. It's got the, the stacks coming up the back and the little sleeper on the back. And it's just, it's, it's way cool. The uh, same gentleman did this one, put this big engine in this car. The 1951 Ford F3 custom pickup with a 90, 998 cubic inch Hall Scott engine. That would have probably been normally going to a fire truck or into a large marine boat. And it's, it's what, an eight-cylinder? It's got to be an eight-cylinder yes, at least. Yeah, but it's, eight. wow, 998 cubic inch. 
he really had to cut the firewall out of that one, didn't he? he did. It goes back in a foot into the into the cab. Oh yeah, <laughs> he must have a cowling like the or a cover like Vans. Yeah. Then you've got a Studebaker one and a half ton flatbed truck. I've always liked the looks of the Studebakers. Mm -hmm. I thought they were they were a pretty classy looking car, a little bit rounded and mm -hmm. a little more some aerodynamic. Of that. Yeah. Yeah. 47 Dodge flatbed, 36 Ford, one and a half ton flatbed. Again, I, the Fords I've always liked. Auto car, 1925 auto car truck. Now, is this one chain driven or is it? Uh, uh, no, it has a, a drive shaft, I believe, yes. It's kind of like the C-cab uh, look. And they've got lumber stacked on it. In fact, it's got a bed with rollers on it for yes. loading lumber. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and it's just a really good looking truck. The hand crank has a bumper that comes out in front. So that would probably be pretty treacherous to try and <laughs> hand crank that one too. Right, right. A 1919 Samson. Again, I've never heard of a Samson or a Republic. 1919 Republic truck. I've heard of the Maxwells and you got a 1918. And these are all bigger trucks. They're all the one and a half ton, one ton trucks. Correct. In a 1917. So have we kind of covered most of what the museum is? Yes, I think we have. You pretty well got the run of it, so for sure. Well, that's what we were looking for. Good. Good. Well, I really appreciate your time here, Brian. You're very and welcome. taking me through here, showing me all the stuff that you have, and uh, talking to me a little bit about it. I'll probably go through and take a few pictures just because uh, we, we kind of went through a bunch of it rather briskly. You bet. Take your time. But this museum is one that you have to see. If you're coming down the Columbia Gorge, you have to pull in and see the Wham Museum here in Hood River. Right. It's just unbelievable. And uh, the amount of things that they have, you could spend days in here. So, uh, you guys have a website? Yes. What is it? Well, it is www.waamuseum.org. So it's whammuseum.org. And then you, I'm sure you guys have a Facebook page, probably uh, uh, same type of thing. Yes, I believe so. And uh, we'll go ahead and finish this out. And the way I finish it out, Brian, let's see, the Facebook page is, uh, again, no, that's .org. On Facebook, we're at W-A-A-A-M Museum. So it's the Wham Museum again. And uh, you can look it up there. Mm -hmm. And I finish these podcasts out by saying the world is full of wonder. It is. People need to get out and explore. Take that trip from Interstate 84. Come to the back side of the south side of Hood River. Check this museum out. It is a top tenner. I can't imagine anybody being disappointed with coming here. Mm -hmm. And everybody have a wonder-filled day. All the rolling go. Where am I to go, meet Johnny? Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?